At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. And now, on to today's show. Today's guest is Matt Mosley. Matt is a communication strategist, author, speaker, and holder of three world records for long-distance swimming. Spending his career at the intersection of public policy business, and government, he is the principal and CEO of Ignition Strategy Group. They specialize in high-stakes communications and issue management for organizations of all sizes, including American Rivers, Excel Energy, the AFL-CIO, and the Colorado Criminal Defense Bar. He also served as a communications director for the Colorado Senate and press officer for the United States Olympic Committee at the 2004 Games. Mosley's books include Dear Mr. Thompson, Felony Murder, Hunter Thompson, and The Last Gonzo Campaign, about his successful efforts with the late journalist Hunter Thompson to free Lisa Allman from a life sentence for felony murder. Now, the book we're going to talk about today, uh, Mosley authored, is called Ignition, Superior Communication Strategies for Making Stronger Connections. So I want you to go ahead and join me in welcoming Mr. Matt Mosley to the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Matt, thanks for being with us today. Absolutely, Earl. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here today. Oh, man, I'm, I can't wait to have this discussion we're about to get into because, uh, you know, you've got a lot of great philosophies that I've been able to uh, find doing my due diligence online. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the swimming. We'll talk about your book, Ignition. Uh, but before we get into those things, I really want to know... Uh, when you hear the phrase uh, responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Absolutely. Responsible leadership to me means that leaders of organizations, of, of companies, managers, leaders in every stripe have a responsibility to create a vision of where you need to go. You know, if we're at point A, a responsible leadership is in identifying what point B is, because then that's when your team can all be working towards a common goal. And we always say in our business, in the communications business, create the future, define the future that you want to see, and then go do it, make it happen. That's what it means to me. No, I like that a lot. And, and especially, you know, that last piece, because, you know, I think 
and I'm interested to hear your experiences on this, like a lot of people get stuck on the way things are and using that as an excuse as to why they they can't get what they want to get done. But what I heard there was, yeah, that's that's fine, but let's go ahead and define what we want it to be and let's just start moving that way already, right? Absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit more as our time together um, about some of my experiences that really have proven to me time and time again that those who are the most successful in life are the best able to communicate those visions and what they want people to do and see. Um, you know, I had the fortunate or unfortunate opportunity to work with a journalist, a pretty famous journalist named Hunter Thompson, um, you know, kind of a gonzo journalist. And we were literally like blowing up a bomb outside of his house in Aspen one night. And he, he turns to me, we had been talking about a presidential campaign and some polling and he says, son, do you know what the meaning of the word politics is? And, you know, I was, Earl, I was like, I'd been in politics most of my professional life at the time. And I couldn't answer this very basic question. I was like, voting? Governance? Wrong. <laughs> and he said, son, the meaning of the word politics is the art of controlling your environment. And those who control their environment the best win the day rightly or wrongly. And look, we don't have to look any further in the business world to, uh, you know, Tesla is a great example of this. You know, there's a term of art in business called first mover advantage. And and, and it really, you know, Tesla kind of defines this where they're, they're, they're out there, they're, they're the ones being proactive, they're setting the terms of the debate. Now, it's a risky place to be, but it's also the place that is most ripe for success. Hmm. No, I, I like that a lot. And, and um, yeah, and, and I think communication is one of those things that I think most people believe that they do very, very well while they're doing an extremely terrible job at it. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm glad I'm glad you said it and not me. <laughs> Honestly, Earl, you know, I devote um, that's kind of the premise of my ignition book and why I wrote it. Honestly, I spent six years talking to dozens of people at the tops of their professions from fighter pilots, astrophysicists, top selling authors, producers at Disney, you know, people that run global advertising campaigns and it was sort of the same. That was one of the currents that ran through a lot of the interviews. That is, if if we all know communication is so important and so vital, then why are most people so bad at it? You know, um, and and they, it, it's always the first thing that goes. Every if you're in any crisis situation or budgets are cut, it's always the communications office or the department that always gets cut. You know, I'm working with an organization now has a budget for four communications people. And they have one and a half uh, trying to do the entire job. But it literally is a paradox, I think, of our world today, Earl, um, where we have this concept of responsible leadership and people still seem to be very challenged by good communications and setting a goal and a vision and then getting people to sort of fall in and support that vision altogether, moving down the down the track at the same time. And so one of the things that's interesting that I found in my research with the Ignition book uh, that I just had come out recently in June, it's called Ignition, Superior Communication Strategies for Creating Stronger Connections 
from Routledge Publishing. And I did some research and found that paleontologists and scientists discovered that because we could squawk better, we had dropped our larynx and there were other, many other sapiens roaming the earth at the same time, right? Um, there were other powerful, more powerful sapien species, such as Neanderthals, right. um, much more powerful than we were. But the secret sauce was our ability to communicate together for a common good so that we could, you know, band together to beat the stronger tribes by communicating. And I think we are hardwired from our evolutionary development to be able to use this communication for the for the betterment of, of our whole society and our world and the way that we relate to each other. And, and now one of the things that really drove me in my thinking and, and the writing was this paradox of, you know, here we are, you and I can have this conversation from Boulder to Indianapolis, from Germany to Japan at the touch of a fingertips, yet people feel so isolated and alone today. And, um, you know, I think that that's a really interesting, you know, it's not interesting, it's very sad. That, you know, I've worked with a... AT&T on a, on a huge mental health campaign in, in Colorado about youth mental suicide and mental wellness. It's off the charts, you know, what young kids are going through. And I'm wondering, my hypothesis in the Ignition book is that it's perhaps because the communication that we're doing now through social media is so self-centered and it's so, you know, what am I wearing? How am I comparing myself? Like, it's not really connecting with people in a, in a real way. And so that, you know, good leaders, responsible leadership, we talked about this concept, right? I think it's making something bigger than yourself, giving something people that, you know, this is, this is, you know, I'm psyched to be here. I want to, I want to be on this team. I want to be doing something greater than myself for the good of humanity or for the good of the company or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that's bigger than yourself. And I think we lose some of that sometimes. Uh, yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And, and especially with what you're talking about there with, you know, you know, the youth suicide epidemic, being a veteran myself, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tuned into the, the veteran suicide epidemic, mm -hmm. but it, it was yeah. shocking to me looking into that, seeing what you were talking about there, you know, the, the, the rise in, in youth suicide. And, and I think you're right. And, and, you know, and I, and I think you just hit on a key point there is, is we, we rely like social media seems to be the way that most people communicate now. But as, as we know, it is very, very difficult to actually communicate any useful information across social media, just because there is so much noise going on there. Uh, well, it's not a place that you say, I love you, you know, right. it's not the forum to express your deepest feelings for somebody or, or your emotions. It's not, that's not the place for it. Uh, it's just, it's not. And I think people have actually missed have that mistake, you know, and we talk, I talk about this, the ignition book about the matching the the right communication tactic with the the right messaging, right? So if you want to if you want to go out on a date with a girl, or say I love you to somebody or propose marriage, you don't do it over text, 
right? You want you want to you want to have a real experience there, and you want to make it meaningful. You know, if if you're just saying, "Hey, I'm five minutes late for dinner," maybe a text is, is just fine. Um, but look, I want to direct your attention also to uh, a chapter in the book. Being a veteran, Earl, I first want to say thank you for your service to the country. Uh, I really appreciate that. Um, but uh, you know, I have a couple of chapters in here that are drawn from military strategy. I, I refer back to military strategy quite a bit, um, but I think you'll really enjoy Mark Williams uh, is is a book. It's a chapter called uh, Buddha and the Fighter Pilot. Yep, <laughs> and it's um, you know it's it's about him being a, uh, a an F sixteen you know Top Gun school fighter pilot dropping bombs on Baghdad. And he says, you know, look, if I don't communicate right in the air, people die immediately. You know, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So the 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 precision of talking in an airplane as you're going mock speed is very important, right? Yeah. Uh, but so I think you'll really enjoy that that chapter uh, called Buddha and the Fighter Pilot. But I also draw on another military um, framework, and that is. Uh, called the OODA loop. Are you familiar with the OODA loop? Oh, I'm a huge fan of the OODA loop and John Boyd. So yeah, I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we could probably have a whole podcast on just the OODA loop. You know? Oh yeah. You're, you, um, no, you're, you're a hundred percent. Talk about what I believe is one of the most well thought out yet misused tools on the planet right now. The OODA loop is it. When you say misused, how so? Well, so if you ever looked at John Boyd's like uh, original research in, in when he created the concept of the OODA loop. It was never meant to be a tool to speed up decision-making. It was meant to be uh-huh. a better understanding of how we make decisions. And by the way, maybe we start making decisions better, but there are some times when we need to slow down our decision-making process. And and folks I've heard teaching the OODA loop lately they all they're always talking about you got to get inside the OODA loop. You got to speed it up. You got to speed it up. And you talk about military sayings, right? We have that uh, uh, slow or uh, smooth is slow, or excuse me, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So it's not always about going faster. Sometimes you have to slow down to speed up to be more effective. And I think that's the thing I, that people yeah. miss about the OODA loop. I think you're exactly right too, because you know there's sometimes, you know. You need more, you need to more orientation, you know, you need to, you need to have the time to think about deciding what you're going to do. Um, and so I think that's, you know, I don't, I never, in all of his writings that I've read, I never once thought that speed was, was his, was his main thing. I thought accuracy and, and under the, the clarity of understanding and the, and the, which then leads you to the the integrity of the action was the most important, right? Yep. Um, not that speed. I thought speed is, you know, was never kind of part of, of now. So, you know, probably there's an argument to be made that if you can do it, if you can do it faster with the same information, fine. You know, <laughs> if you can get the same inputs and the same orientation, but you know, you, there is the planning. You gotta, you gotta do it. You know, one of the things I opened my book in a, to the to the Oodle Loop chapter, and um, one of my favorite, he wrote this paper called "Creation and or Destruction in Creation," and he, you know, because the Oodle Loop to me, it was about decision making, 
But what he says here is, uh, I'm going to quote it, because um, he's talking about that the OODA loop is about generating disorder and order that emerges as a changing and expanding universe of mental concepts matched to the changing and expanding universe of observed reality. And what he says here is, to comprehend and cope with our environment, we develop mental patterns or concepts of meaning. And so for me, the OODA loop was about meaning creation and how we create meaning in our lives. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely a military concept, but I think in in our everyday life, it's it's really powerful in that regard. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 right. And again, as as we talk, you know, Boyd himself, he he never meant it to necessarily be a military concept either. It was he just wanted to define how humans made decisions, and that's universal. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and and again, you're 100 percent correct. The the speed thing, like I don't know how much you've looked into his life, but. Uh, the the story of you know how he got the nickname Forty uh, uh, Second Boyd. Have, have you ever did you get that far? No, into I it? didn't know about that. No, no. Yeah, so you know he was kind of in between wars. Like he he never really saw combat. I mean, he saw it for a very brief period of time, but it was always kind of in a in a, in a support role because he was in between. And so he spent a lot of his time developing uh, uh, weapons fighting tactics um, out in in Las Vegas. But he had a standing bet. He said, I can be anybody from any position in 40 seconds or less. And he had, I think it was a $40 bet, which back then $40 was a lot of money. But it was it was speed that he used to his advantage because he would always, he would get in there and he would bait people in. And then right when they were getting ready to get the kill shot, it was, it was they, they depict the scene in, in the movie Top Gun when uh, uh, Tom Cruise uh, pulls in, I think it's Viper, and he, he makes a signal, he goes, I'm going to hit the air brakes, and he's going to fly right by me. That's exactly what uh, Boyd would do. He would let them get in, right? And then when he saw that they were getting close enough, he would hit the brakes. It was called flat plating. And he hmm. would basically come to a stop in midair and drop his nose back down. And when every time he dropped his nose back down, he was in guns position to, to take them out. And he could do it in 40 seconds every time. That's it. Uh, I think it was like 80-some people challenged him, and he never paid out. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. I heard he was quite the irascible colonel too. Yeah. The the Air Force hated him. I don't want to turn this into a John <laughs> Boyd podcast, but it was funny because the Air Force hated him, but the Marines loved him because of, of his um uh yeah, yeah, we loved him because of his attitude. We'll put it to you that way. But he had a lot of flaws, too. I don't want anybody listening to this who knows about John Boyd to think I'm putting him up on a pedestal here. He had some flaws, especially when it came to his family. But when it came to this stuff, he was on point. Yeah, a great writer, too. That's, I, love, I love this conversation. We could, I think we could have a whole podcast on, on just that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, some of the other strategies that – and this is what I wanted to outline in my Ignition book was to give people not just, you know um, – to say you should communicate better, which is real easy to do, but to also give them and give people some tools for how they can do that. And what are some different strategies and different ways that you can create these connections with people who matter and create an environment where people care? You know, it's only after they care will they actually buy a product, will they show up for an event, will they pull the lever for in a voting booth? You know, you have to you have to get people to care. So we can talk about if you'd like a couple a couple of those strategies too. 
Oh, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, just what you were saying there is, is I love, I love the way uh, Dr. Brene Brown puts it when she says people give a damn, if you give a damn. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what we're talking about. Well, so let me, let me yeah, let's do that. Cause I want to, you know, you, you mentioned the book and, and here's what I want listeners to, to take away. Cause uh, you need to go buy a copy of this book because it is incredible. Uh, but what I like about it, you got a nice layout here. You got it in three parts. Um, I think it's three parts. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and you start, I'm a big history person. That's one of the reasons why I knew so much about John Boyd. But you start out right out of the bat, uh, communication from the beginning, history and philosophy. And I, I love that because I think that is one of those important pieces for folks to understand. What you just said about that's what set us apart as a species from day one. And in chapter one, you talk about these kind of four items, if you will, spark, caring, energy, and relativity. Now we've talked about some of that a little bit here, but why, why did you kind of coalesce that first chapter around those four words? You know, I think the spark is always, you know, that spark of caring, right? Those are, that's what I, I kind of keep coming back to a lot. It's like in my work on public policy issues on, on crisis management, for big things, it's about, okay, how do you get people to sort of care and then they can trust you. And only when somebody, you know, you have a, a consumer's trust can, can something really happen. Um, energy is a big piece of my life too. Let's, you got to show up, man. You, know, you got to show up for stuff. And right now the world is facing so many critical problems. Uh, so many from water, public education funding, Healthcare, transportation, I mean, you name it. Um, and relativity, <clears throat> the, the relativity was kind of the first part of the book. And, um, you know, I didn't want to go too deep into it. I am not a quantum physicist, but I did lay out a, a, a theory there of like quantum communications where there is there's an aspect of communications that can ripple across space and time. For instance... I have a dream. Ask not what your country can do for you. Four score and seven years ago. You know, these are phrases that have lived through our time and, and define our time. They're a moral compass. They're a call to action. And I think, you know, that's the power of what can happen. And, you know, the the, the converse of that, of course, is that people say stupid stuff every day and ruin people's lives. They ruin companies. They say things that are not relevant and don't matter. And, you know, we work with companies a lot in crisis situations where, you know, it's just a couple of a couple of sentences that some CEO said at a baseball game or at a, you know, on a company call and a rant. And, you know, there's a billion dollars of evaluation lost overnight, um, you know. And so so I think there's a, that relativity piece of, you know, the, the quantum physics has a, a really nice application. And, you know, speaking of Boyd, he was very much involved, you know, very interested in the Heisenberg University in uncertainty principle uh, about entropy and the, the loss of entropy across the event horizon. You know, some really deep stuff, right? Right. Yeah, well, it, it, exactly. And that was one of the things that kind of triggered my brain as you were saying that last piece there is you're right, because this is another piece that uh, I think most folks don't get out of the OODA loop is that while you're going, you know, you're, you're observing, you're orienting, you're deciding, you're acting, you're influencing the people around you. 
And you're influencing what they observe, how they orient themselves, the decisions they make, the actions they take. And that's feeding back into your next cycle of the OODA loop. You're rippling out. You Mm -hmm. mentioned some great examples there. You know, today, to this day, I have a dream is something that fits into a lot of people's OODA loops. And people may have never even heard the actual speech, but they know what it means because they've, they've observed it through their lives. And, and it means and, something to them, right? Exactly. And that meaning creation is yes. just really fascinating. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. So I love, I love that you tie all that together there. So, yeah, let's talk about some of these strategies that you were you were getting ready to get into. So, uh, what would you like to share there? <clears throat> of course, of course. Well, so there's, I, I lay out probably a dozen or so in the book, but you know, part two is really where we do get into all of those different strategies. And you know, one thing that I'm, I'm just really big on is planning. You know, the actual thinking out of things. And I, I think that's a lost art in itself. You know, people just run off half cocked all the time and they don't really think through uh, the planning. And so I have a, a deal or well, I can I, I think I can make anybody a better communicator in 15 minutes. You know, the 15 minute communication plan, man. Nice. I like <laughs> um, that. And so, you know, and it, it goes like this. Right. So I get I get a lot of calls from people, friends that, hey, we got this big thing at work. We got a big challenge. Can I take you out for a beer and we can kind of talk through it? I'm like, okay. And this is what I would do with them. Um, If we were going out for a beer today, this is probably what I would do with you, too. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) as you ask, you know, what's the approach like where? So I mentioned point A. Where is point B? What are you trying to do? What do you want people to think, feel and do? And that's really important <clears throat> and being very clear on what that end goal is, because then we take and we ask ourselves three simple questions. One, what are you saying? You know what? This is like the entire books are written on this. And this is kind of the OODA loop. And it's in, in itself is that's all of the messaging, the crystallization of all the context and research into into a nice nugget that just boils everything down into what you're trying to say. Secondly, we're going to say, you know, we're going to ask ourselves, who are we talking to? What is our audience? <clears throat> I have a client right now. Our audience is one person. It's the governor. You know, I have other clients that there were, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people or, you know, and, and really that targeting, look, we have a whole Silicon Valley is based on the idea of targeting now, yep. you know, um, we have a, a industries around targeting majorly, majorly important. And then lastly, the, my favorite piece, and this is where I like to play, how are you going to say it? What are the tactics? What are the specific ways that you are going to communicate that message to that audience? And we alluded to this earlier, didn't we, when we talked about if you wanted to get a date with the girl, you probably um, you probably want to ask her in person, right? right. If you oh, If you want to ask somebody's hand in marriage, you probably don't want to do it through text. So finding, you know, finding the right mechanisms and for, for our work, you know, we have so many ways to communicate now. Social media, I can send out a press release. I can put it on the business wire. I can have a press conference. We can go door to door. We can do radio ads, you know, on and on and on. There's thousands of ways to communicate. Let's pick a couple of those and do them really, really well, you know, instead of yeah. trying to, to, to scatter ourselves all over the place. And that's basically it in a communications plan. 
And this can be applied from a campaign to the White House, a city council race, a Microsoft Globe advertising campaign. It can be 160 pages long or it can be six or it can even be the back of a napkin. I think it's a really easy framework. And if people just in a meeting or in some place and just kind of sat down and like, hey, you know, it, you can go through it in 30 seconds if you need to. And just think about what you're saying and matching up all of that stuff, the audience and the messaging and the plan. And then, you know, then you got a plan. And look, we both know. Earl, having a plan is better than having no plan at all. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah, that was the foundation of NASA in the early days was planning, planning, planning. And if anybody has ever seen anything about NASA, that that's, I mean, think about it for a second. These folks were making life and death decisions in, in less than three or four seconds because of the amount of planning <laughs> that they put forth uh, in advance. But there's one thing there that you, you really, you know, keyed on that, that I think is so important because, you know, the way I uh, talk about communications when I'm working with uh, with folks is is communication is more about what is heard than what is said. And I, I like that the, you're, you're asking people, like, what, what is it that you're saying? And, and I'm just kind of curious, do you, do you do you have folks do that kind of like – you talk about military. We have that call and response feature, right? Where we say, okay, we're going to send rounds <laughs> 200 yards downrange at 20 degrees, whatever it is. And then we, we respond 200 yards, 20 degrees, I, sir. But we don't do that a lot, at least in my experiences in kind of, you know, the, the private sector. And we think we're saying something, but what we're saying is, is not being heard the way we want it to be said. And so they're hearing something totally different. Am I making sense? Oh my gosh. You have hit on a big, I have a whole chapter of this naturally in the book. Um, yep. And I, I draw off the art of improvisation. Um, but it, real quick, before I go on to that thought, when we're talking about, you know, sort of planning, uh, was it Eisenhower, I believe, who said something like, you know, planning or plans are useless, but planning is priceless. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, really exactly. Like and then, you know, he followed it up with, you know, a plan's only good until the first bullet flies, too. OK, <laughs> or I, the quote in my book, my the quote in my book is from Mike Tyson, that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. I like that one, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but, you know, the point you know, is, is you still got to do the planning, though. Right. So so once the bullet yeah. flies, once you get punched in the face, you know how to respond and react and you don't have to stop and think again what you're going to do next. You know. Yeah. And you have man, you've thought it out, and that that allows you to better manage than the situation at hand when it happens, right? right. Um, and so, getting back to the art of improvisation, you know, I, pre, I find it's pretty fascinating. And I write in the book about you know, look, communication is not just about yapping and talking all the time. In fact, it's just the opposite because the other side of the coin is listening and active listening. Um, and I distinguish active listening from from just listening is you know um active listening you're listening to understand instead of listening to respond so many times you're you know if you're in a and you're in a hot button meeting and you're going to be the one that has to talk next you're formulating what you're saying in your head and you're not actually comprehending as deeply what the person that's talking is saying whereas if you're active listening 
you're listening to understand what they're saying. And you know what? A friend of mine, Rosalind Wiseman, she wrote a book called Queen Bees and Wannabes, which went on to become the cult classic movie Mean Girls. Okay. And she had something the other day, and she said, listening is being prepared to be changed by what you hear. Mm. I like Which that. I thought was so powerful because, you know, sometimes you people come, I have a really good friend, Jonathan Barch, who's a, runs a national mediation firm and they do these big public policy issues. And, you know, people just come in and, and with hardened, hardened opinions, you know, political ideologies that are just set in stone. And, and so when, you know, but, but real listening is, is to accept other information make it a part of that loop and then you're making subtle changes as you're taking in new information and you're formulating new opinions and new directions and new inspirations right and so that's the beauty of life is being able to be changed by what you hear i thought that was beautiful no that is that is as you were saying that it reminded me of um uh william Bury. um oh yeah yeah, he, have you ever heard him tell his story about when he got sent down to uh, kind of mediate with uh, Hugo Chavez? No, you know, I haven't, but he was up here at the CU Law School for a little while in Boulder, and so he was friends with uh, a couple of other friends of mine that I that I knew. So I've, yeah. I followed his work. Yeah, but yeah, no, I mean, and he's you know um, get to yes, he's written a couple of great books on, but you know, he he says exactly what you were talking about there, where you know that was the key to him kind of making some headway is everybody else was responding to uh, Hugo Chavez. He listened and he's, and he's like, he let me have it with both barrels for about eight hours. He goes, now just listen. <laughs> and then he goes, it was this amazing thing that happened. He goes after about eight hours or so, he kind of left, he finally stopped and he looks at me and he says, you know, you, you've been listening all this time. What do you think about it? And it was, the, you know, the, yeah. the room was kind of shocked. Yeah, because it was the first time that any of them had heard him, you know, this dictator, ask anybody else what they thought. And it was all because he listened. We, and, you know, this is interesting. My friend Jonathan, I, I have the quote in the book uh, from Jonathan Barge that says, you know, people, you can't mediate with people unless they have felt that they are heard, that yeah. people will not come to the table. They will not make a, they will not bargain with you unless they feel that they are heard and i think that's pretty profound too you know now i may have missed this in a book is 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 he a professor no he runs he's the president of um collaborative decision resources cdr okay so yeah jonathan barge yeah, there's a uh, great guy yeah there's a john barge if you've never uh, so he's a was a harvard professor did a lot of work in um what is the word I'm looking for here? Um, basically, I, I want to say implicit biases, but it was it was not what most people think about implicit bias. It was talking about things where, like, the temperature of your your drink can affect how you view <laughs> everything around you. Uh, I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it was it was all this interesting stuff about you know anchoring biases and things like that. You know that that really impact us. And I was wondering if it was the same, same gentleman, but uh, they, they spell no, their name. No, it's a little bit different, but I do like those <laughs> concepts a lot. And yeah. I draw on quite a number of psychological principles um, in the book because it's so relevant to our, you know, how we view the world. Um, and one of the, uh, 
you know, as we begin to wrap up here, I think one of the really great things that I learned when writing the book about um, kind of the locus of control, right? Like how you see the world. And it, and what's really interesting, um, you know, one of the most popular TED Talks of all time is a woman, you know, Amy Cuddy, and she's a Harvard psychologist. And what she wanted to know was that even if people feel powerless and even if they feel insecure, can they make themselves appear and can they, you know, can they sort of through their thinking of being powerful then ultimately become powerful? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and, you know, the answer, of course, was yes. And, you know, she kind of points to just, you know, people's really in, you know, it's, it's very easy to read, like just simple body language of, you know, when people are in a classroom or they're in a meeting and they're very big and expansive and, you know, um, uh, wide, if you will. And, you know, when, when, when runners cross the finish line, they hold up their hands, you know, and when you win a political race, you know, you, you throw your hands in there. And when people are feeling really insecure, they sort of curl up in a ball. They sit in the back of the room. They twirl their hair. They play with their face. Um, it's very easy to pick up. And so she wanted to know if, like, you change these these things, even if you're feeling insecure, but then you look powerful and wide and big, what does that do to your own success? And I think it was just really fascinating that we do have an amazing ability to sort of control our environment, which is the concept I introduced in the beginning. We have an amazing ability to control our environment. <clears throat> and I think responsible leadership, again, is that is 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 assuming that that responsibility for controlling the environment around you and that we're not just at the whims and the mercy of a cruel harsh world or at the mercy of other people but that we are in control of our destiny you know as the hopi prophecy says do not look outside of yourself for a leader we are the ones we've been waiting for mm. Yes. And and I'm going to tell you, and this is why I love everything you did. I love the book. Again, listeners, Ignition, Superior Communication Strategies for Creating Stronger Connections. It's a great book. Pick it up. But, you know, my listeners hopefully remember this story. But, you know, I want to kind of really tie a lot of this together because I want you to really grasp how powerful this is, what, what Matt's been talking about here, is if you remember back many, many episodes, it was like probably episode six or seven. I'd have to look it up here. I had a gentleman named uh, Colonel Lee Ellis on here. I don't know. Are you familiar with Colonel Lee Ellis? I'm not, I'm afraid. No, you're, you're fine. Um, he was a uh, prisoner at the Hanoi Hilton during the Vietnam War. And he wrote an outstanding book called Leading with Honor. There's another great book out there called uh, Lessons from the Hanoi Hilton. But I think you would find this very interesting. They're, they're kind of takeaways, right? Because uh, the general population or of, of Vietnam, uh, all the troops in the Vietnam theater, the PTSD rate was estimated to be somewhere a near 40%. Okay. Everybody thought that these prisoners in the Hanoi Hilton for all the things that they went through, that they were going to be near a hundred percent, but they came out and it was, uh, I want to say the, the latest study was the, on them shows that it was less than 4%. And you wow. know why? Because they figured out how to communicate with each other. And that was uh, a imperative that uh, Admiral wow. Stockdale uh, had. They, they had a 
they had a knocking system that most of them knew because they were all pilots and their their captors didn't. So they used that and, and they made it a priority. Every time a new uh, prisoner came in, we made contact with them. We made them know that we're here, we can communicate, and we're going to get through this together. And that is really fascinating. I wish I would have known about that writing the book. <laughs> well, here, there, I really love that story. Maybe volume two. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, uh, Colonel Lee Ellis, he's, he's a great guy. Um, I, I definitely would, would suggest checking his stuff out. But before we do kind of start towards wrapping up here, um, you talk about a lot through the book, and we kind of hinted at it here a little bit, but you talk about what you call, what is it you call your morning job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so tell folks about that a little bit, because I find this very interesting. Absolutely. Uh, in my, I could say, say it's my morning job because that's when I work out and do, um, you know, most of my training for uh, open water adventure swimming. And, you know, I define adventure swimming as basically just finding bodies of water that are not pools uh, and that usually my big swims no one's ever done before and going to swim them and putting together a team and you know, uh, joining together with a, an organization to raise awareness about some water issue, whether it's water quality in, in Lake Pontchartrain in New Orleans. It was the first to swim 25 miles across that lake, Lake Pontchartrain. I did a swim across the Caribbean to raise awareness about plastics in the water and, and in the ocean. Um, you know, I just did a recent swim through Canyonlands in Utah down the Green River and that was for 40 miles and had uh, teamed up with American Rivers <clears throat> to raise awareness about what's happening with water in the in the West. You know, Lake Powell's drying up and what's happening with water everywhere. You know, just because we turn on the tap and it comes out doesn't mean that it's okay. And so I think like water, you know, <laughs> screw oil, screw gold. I think water is the most critical issue of our time. We just haven't really gotten there yet. And so that's what the ignition book, you know, I wanted, I want to give people the tools to go out and, and get involved in these kinds of issues. And I feel like my swimming is what I can bring to the world to say, like, this is how I tell stories about rivers and oceans and lakes to get people to care about them is through really fun swimming, <laughs> really long, yeah. crazy swimming. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, and you're right. There's uh, my, my wife, uh, she, she loves sea life she's big into whales and dolphins and uh we actually stumbled on a lady uh ocean ramsey i'm not sure if you ever heard of her i don't know um, she she's a shark advocate of all things right like she yeah. she loves sharks and she teaches people how to safely i use air quotes when i say that swim with sharks and understand them and how to not make yourself a, a target for a shark attack and she swims with great whites, like you know, you and I would pet a dog, which is kind of crazy. But, <laughs> but you know, I haven't gotten quite to that level yet. I <laughs> I've had some encounters with alligators and snakes oh, and stuff, uh, and the bull sharks are kind of a different story too. I have thankfully I haven't had any encounters with a bull shark, but uh, you know <laughs> that's pretty funny. Usually, if I'm swimming, I usually do. If I'm swimming in like a ocean, I'll have a, a shark repellent that I that it's on my support kayak that sends out a sonar that they don't like and keeps them away. Yeah. Well, I mean, she makes, you know, we talk about communication, right? I mean, she's like, what are you communicating to the sharks? Because they eat seals. And so you go dress up and look like a seal, then get in the water and then wonder why they want to eat you. 
Uh, anyway, <laughs> makes perfect sense. <laughs> but but no, what I like about that though, again, is what you do with the, the swimming there, right? Is is that connection, the communication, the connection, the storytelling? You make it real, and I think that's really kind of a, a key piece of communication. Even you know when we talk about these other forms, right? Is if you're not if you're not making what you're communicating real to people, it doesn't matter how great you can speak. It doesn't matter if you can mm-hmm. use the best body language, but if you're not making it real and tangible so people can can see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, you're almost wasting your time, right? Hey, precisely. You know, and, and we, you know, that gets back to exactly what we opened up the program with was that my theory that, the best leaders are the ones who are the best communicators. Like you can be the best CEO out there, but if you can't communicate your vision, it probably doesn't matter very much how good your business acumen is. Right. Um, Like Mark said, um, you know, my friend, Mark Williams, he's done a lot of work with uh, mental conditioning with PTSD and, and vets too. Really interesting work there where they've used a lot of mental conditioning techniques uh, and, and with a lot of like really good success, but, uh, you know, Mark is a, he's, he's just a great guy and, um, you know, yeah, check out, check out his chapter. I think you'll, you'll really enjoy it. Oh yeah. No, it was, it was good. I, I did enjoy that. And I, th- I know listeners will as well. So, you know, Matt, we've been chatting here for a little over 40 minutes at this point in time. It's been fantastic. We've covered a lot. Man, I've enjoyed it. We're going to have to do this again sometime and geek out about John Boyd and some of this other stuff uh, a little <laughs> bit here. Um, but before you go, is there anything that we didn't cover in this uh, in this discussion that you really want to leave listeners with? You know, I think we did a pretty good. We we circled. Uh, we got a, we covered a lot of territory, right, from decision making to the fifteen minute communication plan, man. Um, and I think you know, just giving people that that framework for how they can think of things. You know, there's a lot of other stuff we did not talk about, such as, you know, how people can put themselves in a hero cycle and a hero's journey and in a way to tell stories um, and how we can use, you know, sort of things like a message triangle to give people the context and framework for, you know, how to give a good media interview or how to stay on message and be disciplined in that respect. But, you know, just to close up here, you know, I mentioned that we, we face a lot of problems in our world, and I think responsible leaders need to step up. And, you know, we're the ones we've been waiting for, and we don't need to wait any longer. The world needs us, and we need to solve some of these problems together. And I think communications is that secret sauce. It's that secret element that has, look, people at you know, People have wondered, especially when you're a child, like how did we get here on this earth to have dominion as a species like this and and really have dominion on this planet? It's communication. That's what has separated us from all other animals and species and everything that else that has ever existed on this earth. So I think it's gonna be our secret sauce going forward or we may not have a very bright future if we can't figure out how to better relate to each other. And so, you know, we uh, we tour the country and I, I go all over the place talking with people and doing trainings. We do workshops on how to, to better communicate, on creating a vision, on crisis response and things like that. I weave in a little bit of my swimming, too. I like to like to talk about swimming. Earl, you wouldn't be probably surprised. And, you know, I've been beating my head for the last six months since the book came out. 
talking about communication strategy and how fun communication strategy is. And then when you know, when I say open water swimming, people are like, I don't really want to hear about communication anymore. I want to hear about that. <laughs> and so, but you know, we, but the, there's a lot of lessons I bring from my swimming to, um, to the, my personal life and to my professional life, such as building really good teams around me to get me across, setting big audacious goals, the perseverance and the training and the homework that goes in and the preparation to making these things happen. And then the perseverance to just go out and do it, you know, and take, take life in your own hands. And so, yeah, we would love to come. If anybody has any questions, please, you can reach us at um, the ignition strategy group.com. Uh, Matthew Mosley. I'm all over Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and all that fun stuff. So please reach out to us. And it's been really fun here. Really fun talking with you today, Earl. Just such a blast. We oh, could talk about, oh. I think we could have several more episodes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I've loved it. Listeners, uh, I'll get the links to that in there so you can go straight to it and, and find out more about uh, about Ignition. And, and I'm assuming they can grab a copy of the book on there as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so and, and do that again. We talk about responsible leadership on here. Be a responsible leader. Grab a copy of Ignition. Take these stories in. Matt's not lying. We literally like formally discussed like the first chapter and that was it. <laughs> so, there, I mean, we, we talked a little bit, some of the stuff kind of in passing, but there's a lot of meat left on this bone, folks, and you need uh, to go grab a copy and, and get into that. And, and I just want to say again, you know, I, I appreciate it and I agree. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I just want to say, Matt, thanks for having it with me and my listeners today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. What, what a pleasure. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Electric Cast.